just as you would likely review multiple cars or houses before making a final choice, there are moments in healthcare to find another resource for your medical issues. Second opinions in medicine are more common than you think. Once we're done with this pod, you'll be able to make the request for the right kind of additional expertise on time and on target. Your well-being should be about thriving instead of surviving. It's about time to empower yourself and navigate our healthcare system with ease. My name is Rushi and this is the show, Friendly Neighborhood Patient. Even if you've seen the same doctors for long enough that both your hair and their hair are turning gray, you can and should be comfortable asking for a second opinion in a variety of situations. Not every doctor is going to make a clear diagnosis like how Google auto-completes your search bar. You might think of getting another doctor's advice with a complicated surgery or cancer, but not all health problems outside of those particular scenarios can be fixed in one visit. You may need to stick with a given care team for a while during the best possible treatment. The most appropriate times to have a second opinion besides in a cancer or surgery context are when you don't like your care team, you want another specialist to contribute to your care, you wish to review your other treatment options, your diagnosis is rare, or if your first choice doctors have no straightforward approach to handling your condition. However, there are limits. If you're bleeding more than a tech company stock price, you probably don't have the luxury to wait for another doctor to say you're in trouble. There are also probably few good reasons to get a seventh or eighth opinion for an issue. A handful of assessments is better than one and better than too many. The Mayo Clinic ran a study long ago on second opinions handled by their own internal medicine doctors to see how diagnosis changes would occur. Based on referrals during 2009 to 2011 from primary doctors outside the Mayo Clinic system, researchers compared initial diagnoses from a referring provider with their own staff's opinions. Only 12% of diagnoses for the patient sample size were confirmed and consistent with the initial assessment, meaning 12% stayed the same. The diagnosis fully changed for 21% of cases, and the next 67% of cases had some refinements or adjustments. That disparity of medical opinion, even back then, is nuts. This study, among other sources in this pod, are linked on my Substack post at rushinagala.substack.com. Let's take dermatology as a simple example. Suppose that you spend a lot of time in the sun, and one day you're worried about a spot on your arm that's been changing colors and size over the past several months. You see dermatologist A for an exam to go over your history. That doctor might say he or she isn't 100% sure what the spot is among a few possible diagnoses, but it's worth your time to monitor that spot month to month. You might be rather uncomfortable with that outlook because you're worried about skin cancer and on top of that, scared of needles with regard to having the spot surgically removed and tested. Hence, in this case, you may go to dermatologist B in the next town over for another take. Both the dermatologist A and B could be skin cancer experts and have gone to the same medical school, but the demographic of patients that Derm A sees may contrast with Derm B's pool of patients. One of these doctors may also have several thousand more procedures performed due to how a practice might be organized. Of course, there might be other history that matters for making the correct diagnosis in this scenario, but in the realm of medicine in general, besides dermatology, many diseases share common symptoms. 
By that guideline alone, it is wise to seek another provider for input when there isn't any clear-cut answer or treatment. A given field of medicine can also advance so fast that sometimes another provider keeping up with the newest clinical science may have their own take on helping you. Most doctors should feel comfortable with you getting another opinion. In some cases, the doctors themselves may initiate the process for getting you referred to a specific provider with the right expertise for your condition. In this context, normal referral guidelines apply like what I talked about back in episode 7. Most of the time, however, you will need to be in charge of asking for a second opinion to advocate for yourself without insulting your current doctor skills. That's a fine line, but Yale's Medical School and the American Cancer Society's resources offer some great prompts for patients to plant the seed of a second opinion. When consulting with your first-choice doctors, you can ask them to consider what they would do in your shoes. You may ask, if you were in my situation, which colleague of yours would you seek for more advice? You could also state that you owe it to yourself and your family to make sure all possible options are covered. From a medical perspective in particular, you may also want to ask what other treatment or surgical choices exist, which is a solid transition into you requesting an official second opinion. As long as you are polite but firm, you will get enough buy-in from your first doctor that any process to get your important chart notes, labs, and procedure history sent to the next doctor will be easier. In any case, you as a patient have a legal right to a second opinion. Some insurance plans may require a second opinion or independent evaluation anyway before significant treatment, like an invasive surgery. When you make it to your second opinion doctor, you should review all possible avenues and risks of treatment. In the case of surgery, ask the doctor what his or her procedure volume is per day and month. You want to have professionals doing 100 hip replacements a month rather than someone who performs a few dozen. No matter what complicated medical care you need, one subtle but critical matter for second opinions is to connect with a professional outside your current health system if possible. Major facilities like Scripps or the Cleveland Clinic hire enough doctors across specialties that getting another person's advice is almost like sending you down the hall for your next class. For example, you see your oncologist at Mass General Hospital, but you may benefit from a private oncologist with experience treating your specific condition. There may be some homework required for making sure the second doctor outside of the first doctor setup takes your insurance or is accessible to you, but the effort to get a clear, independent take on your condition is worth the effort. Regardless of who you see for a second opinion, make sure to bring your most recent chart notes, lab results, procedure history, medication list, and your questions. You'll get much more out of the visit, and the second or third or fourth provider will be in a better position to help you. Once you have a productive visit, ask the second opinion doctor to forward any new test results and notes back to your main physician so everyone stays up to date with your care. You might believe that all this medical work is only possible if you have a great health plan or superb connections. That's why next week's pod is going to be all about how patients with no or straight up awful insurance and zero connections can best advocate for themselves to get routine care in our current medical system. Subscribe and stay tuned to Friendly Neighborhood Patient for clear, simple healthcare commentary. I'll catch you at the next episode.